This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Savor. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about hummus. Yes, hummus. I love some hummus. Do you like hummus? Oh, I love a hummus. It has ruined many, by many, I mean two, first dates for me. (laughs) What did you do? (laughs) Because I carry with me always a mini toothbrush and a mini toothpaste. Okay. But I always lose it. Like, it's on my person now. And I guarantee you if I tried to find it, I wouldn't be able to find it until it was too late. All right. So I'd had some hummus. And I was too embarrassed to admit because it's first date. I got really bad breath, friend. And I kind of want to be away from you. (laughs) Yeah, like I don't want to kiss you or like be up on you. Yeah. And it turned into a whole argument. One time, oh, wow. it turned into a whole scene. I'm sorry. It was okay. I think that's a clear sign. Wasn't meant to be. Yeah. No. If you can't get over the hummus breath, then yeah. And then once I was at a fancy restaurant on a date, and I was leaping from the restaurant, going straight to the airport, going out of the country or something, and I had in my purse some hummus that had gone bad, had a whole mold thing happening, and I wanted to throw it away in a public garbage can. And not in my home. Uh-huh. And it turns out I couldn't find a public garbage can anywhere. And, <laughs> and so you were trying to board a plane with a jar of... <laughs> no. The valet, he saw me looking around trying to find a trash can. And it became a scene. Everyone came out, wanted to know what hummus was. Why was I just carrying it around? 
where was I going? <laughs> but eventually one of the waiters came and he found a place to throw it away from me. Well, that's very good. I can't say that I've ever had such an exciting moment in my life that was hummus-based. But while we were in Asheville recently, a bunch of the people that we were talking to mentioned there's a very large and successful hummus brand. Yes, called Roos. And one of the most Asheville things we heard there is this hummus brand has a Tesla that they drive around that's painted, decorated. It's been wrapped, yeah. As one of their jars of hummus. So big yellow Tesla hummus vehicle, which, right, is about the most Asheville thing we could possibly imagine. It was. And we thought we would include a quote from food critic, Asheville food critic Mackenzie Lunsford, about this this Tesla and the people behind Roots Hummus. The guy who started making hummus, Roots Hummus, in a closet, and in the course of 12 years, gone from 200 square feet to 20. 7,000 square feet warehouse with like, this is so Asheville, but they're building an observation deck so you can walk and watch them make the hummus, you know, (laughs) and yeah, $3 million facility, you know, they're starting to build their shipping line, they're, you know, they have the Tesla that's painted yellow and they drive to, you know, solar expos and give away little bits of hummus. (laughs) That's a pretty cool success story. Absolutely. And coming off of that, not necessarily off of your personal tragedies, we wanted to do (laughs) this episode on hummus, which brings us to our question. Hummus. What is it? Well, hummus is a spread or dip that's made from cooked pureed chickpeas, uh, also called garbanzo beans, plus a number of seasonings. Lemon juice, fresh garlic, salt, and tahini are the basics. Yeah. And the word hummus comes from the Arabic word meaning chickpea, which makes sense. For that reason, though, in the Middle East, it's called hummus bitahini, which is chickpea with tahini, because you're not just going to say chickpea. Right. Not the same thing. No. And we will have to do a whole episode on chickpeas someday. But in the meanwhile, tahini. Tahini is a seed butter, sort of like almond butter, but made with sesame seeds, usually, which have been uh, hulled and toasted before being ground into a smooth saucer or paste. Mm-hmm. And so the basic result when you combine those chickpeas and the tahini and the lemon and garlic and salt is a spread that's uh, savory and a little bit tangy with a sort of sweet, earthy kind of undertone. And when it is made well, it is just dreamy smooth and light on the tongue. <laughs> so dreamy. That sounds like how in my diary I would have described my crush. Aww. <laughs> dreamy smooth and light on the tongue. <laughs> but who, strangely enough, you wouldn't want to have tried to kiss exactly. after eating hummus. Huh. It's a paradox, the hummus <laughs> paradox. <laughs> it's a dish made throughout the Middle East and the uh, southern and western areas of the Mediterranean, and there are as many recipes for hummus as there are folks who make it, which is basically everyone. Israelis often add cumin and, like, a lot of tahini. The Lebanese may use paprika and maybe a little bit of olive oil or, uh, you know, at least uh, drizzled upon serving. Palestinians often eat it for breakfast alongside the earthy, fresh herb and spice mix uh, as a tar. 
And as it's spread to other cultures around the world, folks have made hummus with all sorts of ingredients, uh, from other legumes like fava beans in Egypt, or even in the West with uh, like winter squash like pumpkin or sweet potatoes, and then all sorts of additions and flavorings from olives to wasabi to guacamole to pizza. Pizza flavorings? Pizza flavorings. <laughs> Not just pizza, like, Probably, <laughs> rolled it up with the hummus? I haven't seen it personally. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if someone put hummus on a pizza somewhere. I wouldn't either. Probably, definitely, that's happened. This is bringing back memories for me of, I think it was a fad. Anyway, it was really popular a couple of years ago to make sweet hummus. Like, you would use chickpeas and, and put chocolate chips in it, and it was like a healthy <laughs> chocolate chip dip. And I made it, and it was good, but that was a really popular Thing for a while. Anyway. I try not to, oh, who am I kidding? I don't try not to judge that hard, but um, I'd try it, sure. It's pretty good. I'm going to say it's pretty good. <laughs> and the reason this was a fad is because of nutrition. It was perceived as a healthier dessert, which is what we're talking about now. Hummus. Nutrition. At its root, it's pretty healthy. It's a good source of protein, fiber, and folic acid. Britain's National Health Service recommends it for pregnant women. Once you start adding in stuff, though, like maybe a slice of pizza, and then I don't know if you what you're using to dip with it, maybe a slice of pizza, then your mileage may vary. Uh, yeah, depending on how you make it, it's probably either low in fat or rich in good fats. Uh, it's got some folate, vitamins K and C, plus zinc, iron, magnesium. It's a pretty good substitute for heavier, more processed snacks and great for adding flavor to sandwiches and wraps without adding a whole lot of calories. A study published in the Journal of Nutrition and Food Sciences found that people who eat chickpeas and or hummus have better overall diet quality and lower rates of obesity and lower rates of elevated glucose. Hummus eaters are healthier. (laughs) You're to hear, folks. (laughs) That being said, like, don't eat a whole tub. I mean, you know, pay attention to your serving size as always, friends. But yeah, it's pretty good for you, especially if you serve it with some fresh veg and maybe some pickles, uh, crackers or breads that are baked instead of fried. It shows up frequently at our D&D sessions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) It is believed to be by some an aphrodisiac. (laughs) Is anyone surprised? I'm a little surprised. (laughs) Some even say it's the queen of aphrodisiacs. Wow. The queen. It also can allegedly be a convincing coffee substitute. I have my doubts, but I would try it. I would try it. Hummus or hummus, I think. Well, some type of like roasted chickpea situation. (laughs) The face I'm making is not good, but I I read that it can be passable as coffee and that I should try it. Oh. Hence I shall, but not currently because we're podcasting. Yes. Hummus numbers. Okay, so hummus has experienced quite a bit of growth in the U.S. In 2016, the U.S. hummus market was valued at $725 That's up from $5 In 1995. Wow. According to estimates, 25% of Americans had hummus in their fridges that year. But, and these numbers are also from 2016, another quarter of Americans had no idea what hummus was. Really? Yeah. Had never heard of it. I guess I can see that. I hadn't heard of it until a couple of years ago. A couple of years meaning college. I heard of it in college. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that I knew what it was until I was in college. Yeah, because I was from a small town. And that town is a college town, and it has grown a lot. But when I was there, like, it was news when the Walmart opened. I I remember. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We want to drive 45 minutes to get to a store. (laughs) What news? So there was no hummus is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) 
I did not grow up with it either. The big brand of hummus, Sabra, in the business, in the food industry business, it's seen as an incredible success story. Yeah. Over the space of eight years, Sabra went from less than 10% of the market to over 60%, which is just remarkable growth. And part of the driver behind this growth was the way the company went about marketing. Because the average American didn't know much about hummus, so Sabra set out to change that. They kind of had to, because otherwise, who's going to buy their product? (laughs) One of their first commercials featured a well-to-do husband and wife watching the sunset, drinking wine, eating hummus, laughing about how they don't have to go to the Mediterranean because they had all the makings right here. And then crash! Something flies through the window behind them and lands in their hummus, and they look around like, what? (laughs) What? And they storm inside, and there's a big, what looks to be high school party happening, and their son appears with something like a lampshade. I don't know, some kind of stereotypical party thing happening. And he said, I thought your parents were in the Mediterranean. (laughs) Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And then in the 2000s, they launched a taste intervention. And this was like you could enter a friend online who needs an intervention because they don't know what food is. (laughs) And it was pretty popular. um, And it became the official dip of the NFL in the 2000s. And I imagine, I didn't find anything saying this anywhere, but I imagine the popularity of the Mediterranean diet helped boost sales of hummus and sabra hummus as well. Sure, sure. Uh, Lots more emphasis on high-protein kind of diets happening around that time. From 2000 to 2010, the United States switched from exporting 90% of our chickpeas to just 40% because of this increased interest in hummus. Wow. And there is a hummus wrap. (laughs) There's a rep for every food these days. There there is indeed. This one is from 2008, and it currently has about 3 million views on YouTube. It's called Hummus, colon, The Rap. Straight to the point. Yeah. It's by one uh, Remy Munasifi, who is a Virginia songwriter who performs as Habib Abdul Habib. And we're shaking our head wordlessly because it's a thing of beauty. It is. It is. <laughs> he plays two chickpea cans like bongos. Uh huh. Hummus is really popular in Britain too. In 2011, they were going through 12,000 tons of hummus a year. 40% of British folks have it in their fridge, which is double the amount of the rest of Europe, by the way. And um, this is pretty impressive since grocery stores didn't start stocking hummus until the 1980s were coming to an end. There's a lot of think pieces about why it's so popular in Britain. Oh, there really are, yeah. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, people are big fans of hummus. There's a movie appropriately called Hummus! Exclamation point. The movie. There are books. <laughs> there are podcasts. We are one of them. <laughs> the, the flavor variety now includes chocolate and peanut butter. And this is not just people making it at home. This is like Sara has this, you know. Yeah, yeah. These are grocery store mass-produced brands. Mm-hmm. In 2015, Sabra recalled 30,000 cases of hummus due to possible listeria contamination. But it really didn't slow down the hummus train too much. No. And of course, hummus has broken a world record. Of course. The Guinness World Record for Largest Dish of Hummus was awarded in 2010. 
The dish, made by 300 cooks in Lebanon, weighed 23,000 pounds. That comes out to eight tons of chickpeas, 155 pounds of olive oil, and two tons each of lemon juice and tahini. And that's actually kind of an important historical event that we're going to return to. Oh, yeah, that one comes back. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have access to (laughs) this massive dish of hummus, you can make your own so easily and cheaply at home. Yeah, all you've really got to do is get the stuff and blend it together. One of my favorite recipe tinkerers, one J. Kenji Lopez-Alt over at Serious Eats, recommends processing the lemon juice and garlic together first, though, because the acid of the lemon will prevent the garlic from producing so much of the hot, pungent compound allicin, which is that kind of burny flavor. That burny flavor is a compound that's only created in garlic when it is crushed or chopped and its cell walls are disrupted. So the acid in the lemon stops that enzyme responsible for making it happen. Anyway, uh, beyond that, there are a lot of tips and tricks for hummus making. Dried chickpeas versus canned, how to remove some of the chickpea skins for optimum smoothness. And uh, yeah, lots of recipes online for different styles. Google around. Find what you like. Yeah, and that's what's so fun about it is you can customize it. And it is one of my go-tos. It is typically eaten more as a snack or an appetizer in the United States. But in places like the Middle East or in the Mediterranean, it is much more than that. And it has been for some time. And we'll get into the history. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Hummus has probably been around a long time. Yeah. And probably was invented in several different places independently. It's the source of much modern-day tension. But we do know a bit more about chickpeas, even if we don't know about when the first human to enjoy some hummus. Briefly, chickpeas probably originated in Asia and were cultivated as far back as 7,000 years ago. They were especially popular in India and the Mediterranean. The first recorded recipe for hummus maybe, depending on your definition, (laughs) appeared in cookbooks out of Egypt and Syria from the 13th century. However, the recipe out of Syria didn't include tahini, so some historians dismiss it as not hummus. However, the first recorded recipe for tahini does also come out of 13th century Arabic cookbooks. Maybe they were combined? Maybe they weren't? (laughs) Maybe. Still... Some historians say that without the lemon and garlic, the Egyptian recipe doesn't count either. Potentially, hummus was mentioned earlier in the Book of Ruth, which is the final section of the Hebrew Bible. Quote, Come hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the hummus. However, in these are modern times, the Hebrew word hummus means vinegar. Which would not be as tasty or particularly hospitable, which is like the point of the passage. So there's still some doubt. Still some doubt. Greece also (laughs) likes to lay claim to hummus. They had a pretty close trading relationship with Egypt, so it's likely their traders bought hummus back from Egypt and they started making it in their own country. If our definition of hummus does call for those four ingredients, chickpeas, lemon, garlic, and tahini, then the first written record doesn't come along until the 18th century out of Damascus, Syria. However, since they were so close to hummus, if you define it as needing all of these things— in those 13th century recipes and the ingredients were all around for well over a thousand years, someone probably came up with the idea to combine all of those things before this. Yeah, maybe maybe they just didn't write it down. Yeah, maybe it was so commonplace. People yeah. didn't even consider. They're like, knows. yeah, that's just what you do. That's obvious. We don't need to write that down. <laughs> we're too busy eating it to talk about it. Whatever the case... By 1950s Israel, hummus was an everyday food item, due in part to the fact that the Israeli army served it in their mess halls. It would go on to become this sort of hip, sort of masculine food in that country, and an entire subculture developed around it. Also in the 1950s, we got the first known written mentions of hummus in English uh, by Elizabeth David, a British cookery writer. Cookery just meaning food writer, but in the most British way possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, she talked about it in her 1955 book, Mediterranean Food. And hummus is kind of associated with hippies, but I can't find strong evidence that it was kicking around in the United States until like the late 70s. I think that certainly it would have been accepted by those counterculture vegetarian communities, but I think it came to the English-speaking world a little bit later than things like tofu and perhaps through, like, increased tourism to the Mediterranean in the 1970s. Yeah. 
I wonder if that hippie connotation has more to do with now. It's seen as a very vegetarian kind of vegan thing that you can eat instead of animal protein. Right. Which fits in with the whole movement of the time, but... Right, right. Interesting. Rabbi Yehuda Pearl launched Sabra in 1986. PepsiCo would purchase half of it in 2006 to co-run it with Strauss, and they had purchased Stacy's pita chips, and they saw the combo of Sabra with these pita chips as the premium chip and dip situation. Ah. Mm-hmm. I had never really considered it as chip and dip, but I suppose. Yeah, and especially by, like, I think the early 2000s were peak chip and dip. <laughs> peak chip and dip. Oh, man. I have a very strong memory of watching in high school, <laughs> watching I Know What You Did Last Summer <laughs> and eating <laughs> an entire tub of French onion dip oh my with Lay's chips and I really had no concerns about my health back then. You were just living the life. Also, <laughs> I love so much that you can trace every horror movie or track every horror movie to what you were eating at the time. I do have very strong horror movie <laughs> and food memories. I could do an entire series on it. I uh, remember when I ate this, when I was watching this movie. Anyway. We should make a vlog. Oh, can we? We're going to look into that later. <laughs> but now we have about arrived at the source of tension in the Middle East that hummus kind of causes or is a part of that we mentioned at the top. Yes, all this all this modern history of hummus. But first, we're going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. This brings us to 2008 and the beginning of the Hamas Wars. The two main players in this war are Lebanon and Israel, and the fight is over which country can lay claim to inventing Hamas. Mm-hmm. Lebanon believes that Hamas is their invention and their cultural heritage, and they blame Israel for profiting off of Hamas monetarily, but also culturally when it comes to world exposure. And this is because of how Hamas is marketed throughout most of the West as an Israeli food. Mm-hmm. So Lebanon went to the EU, the European Union, demanding that they formally recognize Hamas as Lebanese, giving it protected status similar to Champagne in France. The EU turned their petition down. This whole campaign was called Hands Off Our Dishes, by the way. Enter Lebanon's first record-breaking giant plate of hummus in 2009. It was about 4,400 pounds. That's about 2,000 kilograms of hummus. It was a lot of hummus. And the idea was the brainchild of Lebanon's Minister of Tourism, Fadi Aboud. He said, I thought the best way to tell the world that the hummus is Lebanese is to break the Guinness Book of Records. So, yes, this was a strategic move <laughs> in the hummus wars. And, yes, I said first. First record-breaking giant plate of hummus. Because... Israel countered with their own record-breaking hummus, served not just in a dish, but a satellite dish. And this was 8,993 pounds of hummus, or about uh, 4,079 kilograms. Down but not out, Lebanon fired back in 2010 with the current record holder. The event was called Hummus and Taboulet are 100% Lebanese. I like it. Straight to the point. (laughs) An Israeli food journalist called hummus a symbol of all the tension in the Middle East. Palestine got into the fray, too, claiming that hummus is their tradition. When visiting Palestine has been compared to getting pizza in Rome. So that's one of the first things you do is find a good hummus restaurant. Yeah. And in Palestine is a tradition to make it early and have it with your family on Fridays. One restaurant owner in Palestine says the key ingredient that makes the difference in types of hummus is nafs the Arabic word for soul. Oh. Mm-hmm. Food historian Charles Perry thinks that Beirut is a solid second when it comes to the question of who invented hummus. But first, he thinks, goes to Damascus, Syria. And the reasoning has to do with the red clay bowl that hummus is traditionally served in. It has this raised edge to facilitate the whipping of chickpeas into hummus. And to him, this means that hummus was a more recent invention and one invented in a city. Mm -hmm. Damascus was the biggest city in the region. If he's right, this means we would have to revise up Hummus's invention to the 18th century, which is way later than that first recipe that was pretty close that we mentioned. Oren Rosenfield, director of Hummus, the movie, thinks we need to call an end to the Hummus War. 
Quote, hummus is a Middle Eastern food claimed by all and owned by none. As of 2013, Israeli dancer and choreographer Hillel Kogan debuted this highly sardonic and farcical play about modern dance and Israel-Palestine relations and hummus. And it's called We Love Arabs. I I had the chance to see it at Emory's Exposed Festival back in 2016. It's this two-man show about this ignorant and egotistical Israeli director hiring a Palestinian dancer and choreographing this piece that the director thinks is like all like edgy and it's diversity and inclusion, but it is such a mess. And the show ends, spoiler alert, with these two men bonding over hummus, like kind of despite themselves. And they like literally spread hummus on each other's faces. It's it's held up as like the possible glue between their cultures. Oh, that's so sweet. It really was. It's very hopeful. Very. An NPR article I read kind of touches on a similar thing. It describes the tension surrounding hummus in the Middle East. And one person they interviewed from Israel said eating Palestinian hummus was political because it's acknowledging its existence. And the article goes on to describe the fraught journey to a refugee camp in Israel. 130,000 people using the same road. Traffic is awful. There's a real fear that you might be shot or that a bomb will go off. But along the road, food vendors pop up, and some of them sell hummus. Another person interviewed in this article said of the journey, suddenly you're not a human being. The kitchen of the checkpoint is really crucial to connect people together as human beings. And another person said, hummus and falafel, food is maybe the only thing that gets people to sit together. And one thing that everyone does seem to agree on is that fresh-made hummus is best and that the ingredients that supermarket brands add are not ideal. Nope. Blasphemous even. Mm-hmm. In a BBC article, uh, Israeli tour guide Noam Yastiv said, that's not hummus. There should be a sign on that hummus the way there's a sign on kosher shrimp. It should be labeled fake hummus. There should be an international law. <laughs> Opinions. I love it. <laughs> Still, it will take more than hummus to work through this tension in the Middle East, but the shared experience, history, and inheritance of a food is a lovely place to start. Yeah. I wasn't expecting hummus to to take, <laughs> to take you there. To get so political. <laughs> but it oh, did. yeah. It did. It's beautiful. Fraught with tension. Very much. And tahini. And tahini. Tension and tahini. That should be a play as well. <laughs> it writes itself. <laughs> So this is our hummus episode, Mm -hmm. and it brings us to listener mail. Yeah. (laughs) It's a firework. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we won't have a listener mail in every episode now, but but all of these studio episodes, we're going to, you know, because you guys send us lovely things about your lives and stuff, and we want to read them. Yes. And Michaela sent us a very lovely thing about her lives and stuff. She wrote, I grew up just 45 minutes from Austin, Minnesota, and frequented the Spam Museum often. We had to expose my out-of-state brothers-in-law to the wackiness (laughs) that is Spam. (laughs) Much like the town of Hershey, Pennsylvania, which ironically I now live 45 minutes from, is to the Hershey chocolate plant, Austin, Minnesota is to all things Spam. It also pays a nod to Battle Creek, Michigan, and the homage they pay to Kellogg's. The museum is a delightfully playful place where you can find all the history of spam and how it aided the war efforts, which you highlighted in your episode. 
You can hear and see accounts and pictures of the soldiers' experience and, to an extent, their frustration with only having spam to eat at various times, as well as play a game where you dress up like a factory worker <laughs> and try to package play cans of spam. <laughs> Placing a bean bag into a plastic spam can, topping it with a lid, and putting a stretchy fabric sleeve around the can. Oh, my goodness. And then comparing how many cans of spam the factory was able to fill in the time that it took you to fill and label six of your play cans. <laughs> you can also find yourself in the lobby where there is an entire wall of cans of spam to give you a visual of how many cans are produced in a given amount of time. The museum holds fond memories for me, and I strongly encourage anyone to visit it if that is the kind of sightseeing you like to do. I also wanted to write to you about an experience I had with a McDonald's when my husband and I traveled to Norway last May. We had a four-hour drive from the airport to our destination, and it was evening. Before we had left the States, we had printed Google Map instructions on how to get to our destination because we were not sure if our GPS on our phones would work how we wanted. Before we left for Norway, we made the decision that in order to fully experience the culture, we didn't want to eat any fast food restaurants or chains. We were hoping to be able to find something along our route to stop for supper. Boy, were we in for a rude awakening. <laughs> While we had our Google Map instructions, we didn't have any other way to know how to get back to our route if we were to stray from our instructions. Being the somewhat naive American tourists we were, we didn't realize that Norway would not be like the U.S. and that there would be places to turn off just off the highway. We had gone about three hours, which is about 8 p.m. at this point, and we still had not found a place to eat. We were so hungry, we finally said that the next thing we saw that would possibly have food, even if it was a gas station, we would stop <laughs> and get something. About 10 minutes later, we saw it. The shining lights of those golden arches. <laughs> we started laughing at the thought of traveling nine hours across the ocean just to have our first meal be McDonald's. <laughs> we went in. I was determined to get anything that wasn't something I could get at an American McDonald's as I knew previously that menu items would change depending on the country in which it was located. I saw a chicken sandwich that was not described as it was in the States and decided that that was what I would order. I was pleasantly surprised to find out it was nothing like the chicken sandwiches here in the States. It was very flavorful, and the sauce they had on it actually made it taste more like a Taco Bell taco than a chicken sandwich. It was certainly not what we expected from our trip to Norway, but it sure provided a great memory. <laughs> Cautionary tale, everyone. <laughs> you can't just turn off the highway. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's a American thing. Or actually, I don't know. I have, mean, have, have you seen that in other places? Uh, usually you can, but it is maybe not as close right off the road. Mm -hmm. The starkest experience I have with this was in Australia where I remember seeing a sign that said, Next Dunny, which is toilet, 800 kilometers. Oh. <laughs> oh, heck. I was out in the middle of nowhere, though. Yeah. It's always worth investigating, but this is a very funny story. Definitely something I would have done. Just like, oh, well, yeah, we'll like, find whatever. something. Yeah, nope. 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 Not necessarily. <laughs> uh, Nelson wrote, I'm from Honduras, where pregnant women are known to crave green unripe mangoes with salt, cumin, black pepper, a little lime juice, and sometimes hot sauce. This is a pretty typical craving for Latin American countries. There are countless stories of husbands being woken up at midnight because of this craving. I love how specific that is. Yeah. Yeah, Well, because we just did our, our pickles episode, and yeah, yeah, we had mentioned in that that— We wanted to hear the stereotype of what pregnant women crave in other countries, because in the U.S., it's pickles and ice cream. Right. Um, that combination specifically. Yes. It's the source of many jokes, 
I've seen it in all kinds of movies. I love this one because it is so specific. But yeah, green. I need salt, cumin, <laughs> black pepper. I mean, but green mangoes with hot sauce. I mean, that sounds delicious. It does. I want to try it. Yeah. I absolutely want to try it. If there are any other pregnant food cravings <laughs> from around the world, please send those in. Please keep telling us about the Spam Museum because it sounds awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've gotten two postcards from y'all from it so far. And, oh, it is always so delightful. Thank you. We got Spam Chapstick. Oh, yeah. Which is not Spam flavored. No. It's just Spam labeled. It's right. I think it's vanilla. I haven't put mine on yet. I have. It's lovely. Okay. I'm a big Chapstick aficionado. (laughs) Um, But we would love to hear about any of those things or anything else, especially where we should go to next. And you can send those emails to hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SaverPod. We hope to hear from you. Thank you, as always, to our super producer, Dylan Fagan. Thank you to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.